Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce, the small business incubator facility. We're meeting there while our new worship center is under construction. Our new worship center is being built on Sunrise Drive and Early. That's over there next to the early schools. Again, Sunday school this morning at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce small business incubator facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377 next to Pates Hardware, back behind where they're building those new townhomes. Hope to see you this morning, and I hope to uh, be able to visit with you online as well. You can visit our blog at point2life.wordpress.com. Again, that web address is point2life.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash point2life, and you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash lifepointearly. This morning, I'd like to invite your attention to Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5. The book of Ezra is located in the Old Testament just before Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethar Bosnai, and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house, and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them after this manner, what are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease, till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. The copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor of this side of the river, and Shethar Bosnai and his companions, the Aphrosachites, which were on this side of the river, sent unto Darius the king. They sent a letter unto him, Wherein was written thus, Unto Darius the king, all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea, unto the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones, and timbers laid in the walls. And this work goeth fast on, and prospereth in their hands. Then asked we those elders, and said unto them, Who commanded you to build this house, and to make up these walls? We ask their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were the chief of them. And thus they returned us answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and build the house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. But after that our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath. He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God. And the vessels also of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of Babylon, those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered unto one whose name was Shazbazar, whom he had made governor." 
and said unto him, Take these vessels, go, carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in this place. Then came the same Shezbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God which is in Jerusalem, and since that time, even until now, hath it been in building, and yet it is not finished. Now therefore, if it seem good to the king, let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so, that a decree was made of Cyrus the king to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. Now in the book of Ezra, we are studying about the return of the Israelites to the homeland. We're studying about the return of the Israelites to the Canaan land, to the Holy Land, to Israel's home turf, to Israel's home country. They had been in captivity for about 70 years, taken into captivity after God allowed the Babylonians to conquer them because of their rampant idolatry in the land. And over the past several weeks, we've talked about how horrific this idolatry was and included sexual immorality and it included uh, child sacrifice. And it also symbolized a great rebellion against God. God who had brought the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea, fed them in the wilderness, brought them into the land, conquered the host tribes of the land, and gave the land and the kingdom to the Israelites and basically gave the Israelites everything they wanted. When they wanted a king, God gave them a king. I mean, he gave them everything that they wanted. And here they were committing idolatry, rebelling against him, worshiping gods that didn't exist, and in the process committing this rampant sexual immorality and child sacrifice, and the culture degraded to the point that they were incapable of doing anything. And so they were taken into captivity. They were in captivity for 70 years, and God worked through that captivity to transform them back into his people. And now, here in the book of Ezra, he is bringing them back into Jerusalem and back into the Holy Land. Now, last week, we studied Zechariah's prophecy concerning the completion of the temple. God told Zechariah that the hand of Zerubbabel laid the foundation of the temple and that his hand would complete the temple. Zechariah then prophesied those words to the nation of Israel, that Zerubbabel started the construction of the temple and Zerubbabel would finish the construction of the temple. And the important detail about that is that the people would live to see the completed temple. And that is encouraging because massive projects like this could take upwards of 40 years to build. In fact, when King Herod would come along sometime later, several hundred years later, and build up the uh, temple, and he would he would build up the temple courts, and he would do a lot of ornamental decoration around the temple. When King Herod ordered that construction, it took 40 years for that construction pro- project to be complete. And so as the people began building this temple, and they're dealing with outside pressure, political pressure, you've got tribes around them threatening military pressure, the king has issued a decree to stop building, and building, even in the best of times, can take a long time to begin with. The people wondered if they were ever going to see the temple rebuilt. But when Zechariah said that the hand of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of this house and his hand will complete it, then the people were told by God that they would live to see the completed temple. And that's a huge blessing, and that's a huge encouragement. And so Zechariah prophesied that, and so that's what we studied last week. A few weeks back, we studied the prophecies of Haggai, who also prophesied to the people. Haggai told the people that that God was with them, and his messages of God being with them, of God being 
in favor of them, of God pouring his grace and favor out upon them, his messages led to a national revival in Israel. And so in Ezra chapter 5, we begin Ezra chapter 5 with these two men prophesying, Zechariah and Haggai. And so Ezra 5 shows us how the prophecies of these men spurred the nation forward in rebuilding the temple of God. The people drew encouragement from the word of God. The people responded to the word of God with action, and the people made progress on the temple. And from this situation, we learn, first of all, to draw comfort and encouragement from God's word. Secondly, we learn to live confidently in God's promises. And thirdly, we learn to build our testimony for the Lord. So let's talk about encouragement, to draw encouragement from God's word. You know, things happen in our life that in our lives that can cause us to lose our confidence, to lose our faith, our belief, uh, not necessarily your faith in God, but your faith that everything's going to be okay. You can find yourself afraid to do certain things in life. You can find yourself living fearfully because your confidence is gone, because you haven't been seeking encouragement from the Lord through his word. And so the Bible teaches us, and we're going to talk about this this morning, that we need to draw encouragement and comfort from the word of God so that our confidence can be built because God wants us living boldly for him. He doesn't want us living in fear. We look in verse 1 here in Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5 verse 1 says, Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edu, promised unto, uh, excuse me, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. The prophecies that these men shared are written in their books, the books of Haggai and Zechariah. Now, in those prophecies, and you can read this for yourself, you can read the book of Haggai, you can read the book of Zechariah, but in these prophecies, God made several promises to the Israelites. The first promise that he made to them was that he was with them. He said that to Haggai in Haggai chapter 1. In Haggai chapter 1, Haggai prophesied that the people were saying that the time was not yet to build the temple, yet they were building their own houses, and God challenged them to consider their ways. And later on in chapter one, God told them to go forth and rebuild the temple because he said, I am with you. God explicitly told the people through the prophet Haggai, I am with you. That was the issue that people had prior to the captivity was that they would go out and they'd fight these battles, but God wasn't with them because they were rebelling against God and they were committing idolatry and they were living immorally and they were violating his law and they gave him no regard. And so therefore God was not with them. And since God wasn't with them, they lost the battles. They were taken into captivity. And if you grew up in the aftermath of that, or if you remembered those days, then the last thing you'd want to do is commit yourself to a battle, commit yourself to a conflict, Try to go up against the most powerful king in the world without God being on your side because that was certain defeat. And so God prophesied through the prophet Haggai. He said, I am with you. And so that was a really big deal to those people of Israel back in this day. It was a big deal to know that God was on their side, that God was with them. And so this was a huge encouragement to them. This was a huge confidence builder to them. And so the people are hearing God's word that he was with them. The prophet Zechariah told them that the temple would be 
rebuilt in their lifetime, that the hand of Zerubbabel laid the foundation and Zerubbabel would finish the temple and that everybody would know that the Lord had visited them. And so this is also another huge promise and another huge point of encouragement from which the people of Israel drew confidence back in that day, knowing not only that God was with them, so if a conflict did come up, that God would deliver them, but also knowing that they were going to live to see the completion of the temple because God was going to make it happen, because everybody would know that he had visited them. And as you read on in the book of Zechariah, you see that the nation would be would be restored. Uh, that's what Zechariah promised as well. When Zechariah uh, prophesied about Joshua, the high priest, who's also mentioned in this passage, that uh, they gave him a change of raiment and put a fair mitre on his head. That's showing the restoration of temple worship and the restoration of God's favor upon Israel. And as you read on in the book of Zechariah, you'll see that that book goes from the situations that they were facing in that day to the end time when God would establish his kingdom forever there in Israel. So the promise then was that the Lord would come to them. And you see that in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which is the prophecy of the Lord riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey colt. And so God made several promises to the Israelites from which they drew confidence. And God also prepared them for adversity. He told Zechariah not to measure the outer court of the temple because it would be trodden under feet of Gentiles for a season. He also told them of coming challenges, but promised them to be with them through those challenges and would bring them through victoriously. God promised final victory. He promised the coming of the Lord. He promised the judgment of sin. He promised the judgment of Israel's enemies. You see, here in Ezra chapter 5, these people who, by the way, had received a commandment from the king, from King Artaxerxes, to quit building the temple, all of a sudden, after Zechariah and Haggai start prophesying and start speaking God's word to them and start sharing God's promises and God's plans with them, all of a sudden they're emboldened, they're re-emboldened, they're encouraged, they're confident, and they're back to rebuilding that temple. And this is a huge thing because they were encouraged and comforted by the word of God so they were able to live boldly. Now, just as God comforted and encouraged Israel through his word, he also comforts us through his word and he encourages us through his word. And if you read his word, you can build confidence by knowing the promises of God and what he has promised you and what his plan with you is. God has made promises to us, one of which was mentioned by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in John chapter four, verse and John chapter five, verse 24. In John chapter five, verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. If you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have turned from your sins and you trust Christ to receive you into heaven because he paid for your sin on the cross, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are saved. You have everlasting life. This is not something that you'll obtain someday. It's not something that the Lord will give you if you continue to live up to a certain standard. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you are saved and you have everlasting life. Words of Jesus right there. He that heareth my word 
and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come unto condemnation. So if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have received the Lord as your Savior and you, you have trusted him to bring you into heaven because he paid for your sins on the cross, you know Jesus, then you are saved. You have everlasting life. And the Bible says you shall not come into condemnation. In other words, you never have to worry about the condemnation of God again. You never have to worry about facing God in judgment and him condemning you to hell. You do not have to worry about a hellfire. You do not have to worry about the wrath of God because Jesus said, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, has, present tense, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, which means you do not have to worry about falling into condemnation. You do not have to worry about wandering into condemnation. You do not have to worry about slipping or backsliding or backtracking into condemnation. It won't happen because Jesus said you have everlasting life and you shall not come into condemnation. But rather, John 5, 24 says, you are passed from death unto life. You have been moved from one side of the fence to the other. You have been moved from this pen of lost people over into a, across the fence into a pasture of those with eternal life. You do not have to worry about God's judgment. And so therefore, do not live in fear of God's judgment. And you need not fear death either. Do not fear death. Do not fear God's judgment. Do not fear the book of Revelation. We were starting, we were starting a study in the book of Revelation uh, one Sunday at LifePoint. And we were, going to get, we were going to study the book of Revelation from beginning to end. And we had one lady that said that she wasn't going to come to those services where we were studying the book of Revelation because she found it to be scary. But why should the book of Revelation be scary to the child of God? While there are some cataclysmic events that are recorded in the book of Revelation, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the book of Revelation is not a book of judgment, but rather a book of deliverance. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you do not have to fear the wrath of God. You do not have to fear the judgment of God. Therefore, you don't have to fear the book of Revelation, and you don't have to fear the end times. Live without fear. Live in that blessed assurance of knowing that God holds you in the palm of his hand and that nobody can pluck you out. Live in that assurance that nothing shall separate you from the love of God because you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Now, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then condemnation, judgment, wrath is all coming, and it's going to hit you unless you repent and you turn to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible also gives us promises from God in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Nothing you endure is without purpose. Everything you go to, everything you go through serves a purpose. You see, God works through the situations in your life to transform you into the person that he intended on you being, and he works in every situation in your life, not only to transform you as the individual and your soul as a spiritual person, but also to transform your circumstances and your place in life. You see, God is transforming you. He is making you stronger. He is making you better. He is creating you into the person he intended on you being. And then he's taking you to a better place where you can shine as that person he has transformed you to be. And that's a promise from God.
Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus told his apostles and his church, I am with you always. In the book of Hebrews, Christ is quoted as saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, Christ will not leave us comfortless as he promised in the book of John chapter 16. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Christ is with his people. Jesus is with his people. He backs us up. He looks after us. He protects us. He provides for us. He guides us. He corrects us, but he's with us always until the end of the world. And that word world means the end of the age. That means he is with us until he returns. And at that point, he'll be with us in person and not just in spirit. And also Christ blesses his church and is with his church. When Jesus spoke these words, I'm with you always, even into the end of the world, he was addressing his first church, those apostles back in Matthew chapter 28. And he was telling them that he would be with them. He would be with them individually, but he would be with the congregation, the collection of the saved and baptized that we know as the church. He would be with the church throughout all eternity until the end of the age when he would return and establish his kingdom on this earth. In fact, this is backed up when Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Christ is with his church. Now, there's a new movement within Christianity that's kind of disturbing, and it's a movement that is trying to de-emphasize the church and pull people out of church. It's a movement that makes statements like, you know, just as being in a garage doesn't make you a car, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. And that statement is true. Standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. And going to church doesn't make you a Christian. However, the problem with that saying is that a lot of people use it to justify not being in church, basically insinuating that those who are in church are the fake Christians and the real Christians are the ones who have managed to find God outside of church. The problem with that mindset is, first of all, Jesus promised the church that he would always be with them. He promised those that he would be with them where two or more were gathered together in his name, which means that Jesus isn't making his presence known among two Christians who are merely having coffee. But when those two Christians are gathered together in his name, there he is in the, in the midst of them. The, this also discounts the scriptures in the book of Ephesians that says, unto him be glory in the church. You see, Jesus loves his church. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter five that he gave his life for the church. So any doctrine, any teacher, any leader, any movement that de-emphasizes the church and tells you that the church has become flawed and so God has abandoned it, or you know you can find God just as good without the church as you can without with the church, then you are dealing with somebody who is at best in error and at worst has some pretty dubious motivations. See, God is still with you. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Lord is with you. And the Lord is still with his churches. Another promise that the Lord makes, that the Bible makes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, which says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The promise here made in Scripture 
is that we will be reunited with our lost loved ones in heaven. Those who have passed on before us that we miss dearly, we will be reunited with them in heaven. And when we are reunited with them in heaven, then we will spend eternity with Jesus. And, of course, this promise made in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is that the Lord is coming, that we will meet him in the air. Revelation 22.12 takes it a step further and says that this moment is coming pretty soon. Jesus said in Revelation 22.12, he said, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. See, the promise Jesus makes here is that he is coming, and he is coming soon. And when he comes, he's bringing the rewards with him, and he'll reward every man as to how he lived for the Lord. And so that's a promise that one day we'll be reunited with the Lord, we'll be blessed and rewarded by the Lord. But it's also an encouragement that the things that we do for the Lord today are not wasted time. You see, there's an old saying that goes that a Bible that is falling apart is usually owned by a person that is not. A Bible that is falling apart is owned by a person that is not. A Bible that is falling apart is not owned by a person who is falling apart. A Bible who a Bible that is falling apart is owned by a person who is not falling apart. Does that make sense? In other words, if your Bible shows signs of use and you've been using your Bible, then you've probably got it together. The more time you spend in God's Word, the stronger you'll be, and the more spiritual and eternal perspective you'll have on things. So spend time in God's Word. And when you're challenged, when you're facing bereavement, when you're facing grief, when you are facing heartache, when you're facing these things, turn to God's Word and seek comfort and encouragement in God's word because it's there. And so the Bible teaches us in this passage to draw encouragement from God's word. Secondly, it teaches us to live confidently in those promises that were made in God's word. In verse two, then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. When the prophets of God shared God's messages that the Lord was with them and would prosper and complete the temple, the leaders confidently resumed the building of the temple. And in doing so, they totally disregarded their local opposition and the cease and desist command from the King Artaxerxes. And when confronted, they didn't even seem to mind that they were being confronted because God was on their side. When you learn to trust God and trust in his promises, you gain confidence, live out that confidence. Psalm 27, 1 through 4 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When this concept sinks in, that God has his hand on your life and that your life will accomplish his purpose, then two things happen. You don't fear the circumstances around you and you develop a desire to be in the Lord's presence. And this leads to a bolder, more confident lifestyle. So trust the Lord and live confidently.
And when you do this, you'll see your testimony grow. In verse 8 here in Ezra chapter 5, they said, Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea, to the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones, and timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on, and prospereth in their hands. When they began to live boldly and to rebuild that temple because God promised to be with them and to empower them and to protect them, they started making some major progress. And when their enemies saw this progress, they took note and they told the king. The people's confidence was built by the word of God and they acted accordingly and people took notice. When you live confidently by the word of God, people will take notice and your testimony will grow. So what we learn from Ezra chapter 5 here is to get into God's word, to be comforted and encouraged, and to live out your faith. And we'd like to live that journey with you. Come visit us at Life Point Baptist Church. We meet for Sunday school this morning at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which if you punch it in on your GPS, it'll be at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, 76802. Uh, the incubator itself, the facility where we meet, is located behind the new townhomes that they're building there on Early Boulevard. Coming out and see us today, we'd love to see you, we'd love to pray with you, and we'd love it if we could all just worship together. May God bless you, may God keep you, will always be our daily prayer.